So our message today, we're talking about obedience and how it helps us experience God's love. Um, kind, of, kind, of, kind of sounds strange how you think in terms of obedience and God's love. Kind of sounds two opposite ends of the spectrum. Especially when I think back to my young years when I was growing up, when I did something wrong and I knew my parents told me not to do something, you know, I'd pretty much avoid them at all costs. You know, call it shame or guilt or just plain fear of whatever, getting caught. You know, I, I wasn't going to hang around them and risk the truth of any, any possible truth coming out, you know. So my relationship with them did not come first in that context. You know, I cared about not getting caught as a kid. Um, I was a sneaky kid. Um, I pretty much never got caught. And the funny thing was, my brother was the kid who always got caught. Um, And it was actually kind of ridiculous. He didn't know how to not get caught. I mean, I didn't really understand it. He got in trouble for stuff all the time, for stuff that I did. It was really crazy. I was so good at not getting caught that, you know, lying became my trademark. And I didn't realize it, but, you know, hiding truth could actually become a barrier in relationships. Um, Something that becomes a strength actually becomes a weakness, Um, especially with, with people with authority in your life, parents, teachers, anyone who represents authority. So this is kind of this worldly view of authority carried over to what began to be the, the view of God and that, that view of authority in my life. Um, so our motivation, each of us, our motivation for wanting to please God should be because he loves us so much. That should be the heart. So many times... We're all in the same boat. We want to please God to feel better about ourselves. That's a lot of times it's our motive. And my relationship with God wasn't about growing closer to him and experiencing more of him. That was not the basis of it. It was more similar to the model that I had with my parents. Maybe more out of guilt, more out of obligation, driven by doing the bare minimum, that kind of thing. So that wasn't a response based out of God's great love for me. So in all honesty, it's more of an insult to God, really, who deserves much, much more from me. But see, I couldn't see that at the time. So let's take a look at Hebrews 4.16. It's a great verse that kind of puts all this into perspective. It says, Let us approach then God's throne with grace and with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, do we see God as king of our lives? Totally different way of looking at it now, what I was just describing. So, this illustration of a throne definitely, undeniably shows that our relationship as more of the subjects, like to a great ruler with great authority. No doubt, no question, we're his children. But God does rule with an authority, so it's important to understand this idea that we are subject to his authority. 
So it, it's kind of interesting. I want to look at the, there's the Greek definition. There's two words. One I want to look at first was the word for obey. And then I want to look later at the word for submit. So let's first t- take a look at the word obey. I think I have this one up there. So the, the biblical word for the word obey comes from the Greek. And I don't know how to pronounce this in Greek, but it's hubakau or whatever it is. But the point is, it means to listen intently by implication to heed or conform to a command or an authority. Now, this word conveys the idea of um, actively following a command. There's no choice in the matter. It's to be done whether one agrees with it or not. So the obedience is involuntary. Now, this idea is kind of what I picture when I think of the, the traditional idea of like a slave, that kind of thing, or someone who's subject to an authority where power is like absolute, and there's no question of that authority or what happens if you go against that authority. That's kind of the picture that I get. So the word submit, I think, better defines that type of authority God set up through the idea of free will, that free will exchange. And I'll talk more about that exchange idea, but our relationship to God is a little bit more voluntary. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't force this authority on anybody. So an important area, I also kind of want to sidetrack for a minute, that might get confused but I think is worth talking about, is that of God bringing discipline into the life of his children, believers, followers of Jesus, versus people who don't know Jesus personally and who experience the consequence of sin in their life. Or maybe even believers who probably struggle with a particular stronghold or sin in their life um, and haven't repented of that particular sin and also experience that consequence of that sin. So there's a difference there, and I want to kind of go into that a little bit. Um, This verse isn't, I didn't put this verse in here, but Deuteronomy 8, 5 says, um, it talks about the idea that God's in control and uses circumstances for the purpose of teaching and for direction. It says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So just as I mentioned, it's for teaching, it's for correction. It's kind of that relation, father to son, there's a loving relationship there. It's allowing something to happen for teaching and for correction. Um, In the second example, where a person doesn't know Jesus personally and hasn't taken a step of repentance from their life of sin, their life that's lived solely for themselves, you know, it it may have been lived by bad choices, for example. And with sin obviously comes consequences. It's kind of like a law of nature. For every action, there's an equal opposite and uh, reaction. And sin is, is very much the same. And this is precisely why God's always tried to protect his children from sin. And it's self-destructive by nature. And sin leads to death. 
And we can see that throughout Scripture and throughout history. But now, since, since we live under grace, obviously God wants us to come to him voluntarily. He doesn't want to force it. So let's look at the next word I was talking about, submit. The Greek word for submit comes from, however you want to say it, hubiko. But regardless of how it's pronounced, it means to yield, to passively surrender to an authority. Submission similar to obedience, but in this case, one might question what's being commanded. You have that opportunity to at least question it, so it's voluntary. So I can say now with confidence where God has brought me to in my relationship with him, you know, I'm committed to obedience to the point that when I do repent of sin, I'm quick and I'm grateful to God for forgiveness and mercy because he's demonstrated it. He's shown it. He's shown himself to be faithful. But for most of my adult life, that was not true because of lack of surrender in part of my life. So just like that little kid I was mentioning who wanted to avoid parents because of guilt, you know, I did the same thing to God. Same thing was carried over to God. So my lack of obedience was keeping me from experiencing that great love that God has for us. And I think we all can relate to that. We all go through that. I was robbing myself of a great treasure, and I couldn't see it. And I think we've all done that. We've all robbed ourselves of something greater that God has for us. So how many of us have done that? How many of us are blind to the the idea that Christ has made it possible for us to approach him with this confidence and not have doubt that we can find that mercy and grace when we need it most, just as they were talking about. You know, I forget at times, I do have a Savior who's been through every single temptation I've been through and much worse. It's very easy to forget that. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And Jesus understands that. So we should find it comforting and much easier to obey a God who has such, not just sympathy, but empathy for us and cares more about our well-being than even we do care about ourselves. So there's plenty of examples in Scripture where God wants to benefit us and show his love through our obedience. So Moses, for example, he emphasized in one example when it came to take in possession of the land meant for the inheritance for Israel. In Deuteronomy 4, I think I have that verse, he says, Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. So obviously God meant for Israel to prosper. So think back to like parents. How often do parents, as parents do we try to communicate to children that the rules we set up are for their benefit or for them to prosper? If only you guys, this is the parents thinking, you know, if only you guys could see you know, that we love you. We may not always communicate this, but at least we're thinking, you know, if you follow these rules, it's for your protection. If only you can see this. I mean, that's the heart of God. 
So, you know, what are some of the consequences that might happen? Maybe from our kids' standpoint, when they, when they don't follow out these rules that we set up for them. Something bad happens that we probably already anticipated might happen. That could be one thing. Maybe even worse, maybe even some of the relational consequences happen. Broken trust, you know, could be example. Hurts internal relationships within the family. Those could be some. Other conflicts. Internal negative feelings within. You know, the list goes on. There's another verse I had, First Kings. David um, here charges um, and his passing to Solomon, his son. He says, when the, tro- when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to D- Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. So David's no different you know, than any parent who loves God and wants to see their kids do what's pleasing and obedient to God. So just as it pains a parent's heart when their children disobeys, you know, imagine the pain it causes God's heart. You know, we can't love to the degree anywhere near that God loves, so not even close. So look at the verse Isaiah 50. Here God is addressing Israel's sin, saying, because of your sins, you were sold. Because of your transgression, your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? So this response from God, it resounds of just love and mercy. There's no condemnation in the words, you know. It wasn't blaming. So he's, he's responding out of love, and his people are missing out on experiencing him, just like we've done. So our sin ultimately keeps us from experiencing him. That's the heart of the message. It's not about condemnation. We miss out on experiencing God. And I think we all can relate to that. Brian shared a couple weeks ago a message on repentance. It was a really good message. It's an appropriate and necessary response for people who want to start experiencing God. So if God isn't real and working in our life, it's because there's sin keeping us from experiencing him. So sin isn't the problem. Sin is the barrier. You know, we get caught up in sin, saying sin is the problem, but sin is a wall. It keeps us from experiencing God. And we get too caught up on sin and thinking it's the problem. But the whole point is we want to experience God. Do I really believe that some particular stronghold in my life is more valuable to hold on to than experiencing all that God has for me? I mean... So a lot of us may answer, yeah. 
And that's okay if you answer yeah, because that's maybe where we're at. There's nothing wrong with being honest in that, because you have to be. But it shouldn't stop us from bringing it before God, if it's the truth of where we're at. You know, he could still take something from us that we're holding on to dearly. Because it doesn't change the fact we still truly belong to him. Or that he desires us to truly belong to him. It doesn't change it. And God doesn't want to keep us from him. So far, so far I've been talking in the context of sin and doing, you know, what God doesn't want us to do. But there's also a flip side to obedience, which I kind of want to transition into. And it's more about becoming all that God intends us to be. Um, Are we being conformed to the likeness of Christ? Are we being imitators of Christ? Are we serving Christ by serving others? That's why I thought it was important in the beginning to share what's going on in the body, that, that what we're doing is an act or a response as children of God. We're doing it because Christ loves us. Are we growing in faith? If we're not, are we asking God to help grow us in faith? They're all examples of obedience with a priority on growing. Uh, Romans 1, 5 through 6 says, Through him we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So it's interesting, in that first sentence, we're all called, all of us, to grow in faith. It's not the select few. It's not the select priests. You know, we're all called to serve and to love those around us. If we want to experience God personally in our lives, we must understand our role in the body and our role in his kingdom. We must ask God to increase our faith for his purposes in how we relate to others. See, our righteousness only exists because of Jesus and because of what he did on the cross. And we have nothing else of any value. So if our righteousness is solely because of Christ, do we not fully belong to him? I mean, that's something we really need to think about. And I have to remind myself every day that my life is not my own. It belongs to Christ. Romans 5.19 says, For just as through the disobedience of one man, they're talking about Adam, that many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Christ, they're talking about, the many will be made righteous. So the least I can do is be obedient to the call of Christ when Jesus showed perfect obedience to the will of God by giving his life up for us. Now what I find really amazing is that even though Jesus was fully God, he experienced the same emotions we have. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, this is when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives before he was arrested, he was, he was praying, saying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He knew he was going to be sacrificed on the cross. 
He said, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus demonstrated for us. He did this for our own demonstration. And because it was real, he was feeling fear. A kind of obedience we should have in walking through our fears and being used in the way God desires us to be used. He first acknowledged he wants God to meet his need if he's willing. It wasn't a selfish thing. He first wanted to know, is God willing? But then he goes on to say that if God's will is ultimately more important than his immediate concern, and I don't know about you, but it does bring me comfort when you look at that. Because number one, we don't have to be strong and we don't have to be confident. Jesus didn't even illustrate, even though he's God, he didn't even illustrate in that prayer. He, he was able to demonstrate weakness. Only confidence in God to step in and help if it's the best thing. That's giving over confidence to God. See, this way I know that if God doesn't step in, he must see a benefit in having me go through a situation or a circumstance. So we can apply this to our lives. This is the kind of faith that we can pray for. And the other part is acknowledging that, yes, this is what I want, but your will, God, is what's most important. And I can pray this and totally not feel this way. That's the great thing. Our emotions can say everything opposite, but it doesn't change the truth of any of this. You can pray it and say, I know this is true, but God, I don't feel this way at all. And that's the best part, because our emotions can lie to us, but the truth is truth. And that's a great way that Jesus gave this to demonstrate it. Another point I want to talk about is the idea that we were born as slaves, and we were born into obedience. Now, obedience is partly a choice, and it's partly not a choice. It's kind of confusing, but like the example I can choose, I talked about in the beginning, to obey my parents. So that part's a choice. But when we talk about, for instance, our sinful nature, we're born into a sinful nature. Um, that was not a choice. When we give ourselves to Jesus, we're, tra- we're trading or exchanging that sinful nature for a new nature. So this is why the idea of obedience is so important. Romans 6.16 says through 18, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the ones you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. So as we saw in the Greek definition of the word obey, that part when you give over to Christ is the voluntary part, but the fact that you're in bondage to one and you're in bondage to another, it's voluntary because you're a slave by nature. You just choose what you want to be a slave to. So each of you can ask yourselves now, do I really believe I've been set free by slave from the slave of sin? Am I living and claiming the freedom in Christ? It's a trade. And here's the part that we can't be deceived by. You can't walk around, walk away from the bondage of sin and live for yourself 
pursue your own dreams and ambitions and leave the cause of Christ out of it. The only way is to die to yourself and give yourself fully to Jesus. There's no such thing as being free for yourself. It doesn't exist. So 1 Corinthians 6.19, great verse, says, the second part of it, you know, you're not your own, you were bought at a price. It's kind of picture the slave drave. You know, you're bought at a price. I mean, a slave owner could buy a slave and set him free, but the point is you were bought at a price. So there's still an ownership there. It's the heart of experiencing God's love, belonging to him and living in obedience. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, um, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? You know, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So our flesh, and even a lot of religious acts in many forms, they like to make, you know, godliness and stuff about acts and works and what we do on the outside. But the heart of obedience should be about gratitude and thankfulness and a reflection on the heart of the relationship. I want to obey God because of my relationship with him, not because of something I want from him. And this is how I have truly experienced God's love in a a real and powerful way. God's awesome because he is love. He is grace. And because he doesn't give me what I deserve. 2 John 1.6 says, And this is love, that we walk in obedience in his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. And this verse shows you can't separate love and obedience. They go together. John 14.15 also says, If you love me, keep my commandments. So the previous verses in John chapter 14 refer to Jesus telling his disciples that they'll do the works he's done, but he, and even greater. John 14, 12 through 14 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I'll do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You know, what an amazing and wonderful, powerful thing that Jesus has actually entrusted to us. What amazing access he gives us, this this power. But the key is that it's for his glory and it's for his purposes. It's not for ours. As servants of Christ, it's all for his glory and his will. So even when we pray for our own needs, which are okay. But we have to keep in mind, not our will, just as Jesus prayed. But yours be be done, ultimately for his will. So, you know, do you belong fully to Jesus today? Is his will in mind? Is there anything in your life keeping you from giving yourself fully to God? This should be something we ask daily. It shouldn't even be something we ask once in a while. That's a really important question. Is there anything in your life that feels too big, insurmountable? Is there a Goliath in your life? Is there something, you know, the analogy of David and Goliath, just something that just seems like, God, this is just too big. 
I can't handle this. Maybe it's a distraction, you know. Maybe it's taking you from God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to use some time during this prayer. Ask these questions and pray and just ask God to search your heart. 